Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we take a look at football in Algeria. After being the standout African team at the 2014 World Cup, Algeria have had two disappointing Nations Cup and also failed to qualify for this year's World Cup. We speak to France-based midfielder Mehdi Abeid. We have so many good players, good individuals, individuality, and uh, but we, we don't know how to play all together. I think it's um, important things it's to, do, to do the things together. Plus a look at the English Premier League where we have Manchester City, Chelsea and Liverpool tied at the top and we ask if Liverpool's Mohamed Salah is losing his touch. That's coming later, but let's start with the Ballon d'Or. The nominees were released this week. Remember, we used to have the FIFA Ballon d'Or, but it's now the separate FIFA Awards, which Luka Modric won last month, and also the Ballon d'Or run by France Football Magazine. Well, Modric is among the 30 nominees. Cristiano Ronaldo seems to be another top contender. Also, Lionel Messi, French stars like Kylian Mbappe and Antoine Griezmann. And there are two Africans, that's Mohamed Salah, the Egyptian, and San Germane from Senegal, both of course playing club football at Liverpool. The winner of the Ballon d'Or will be announced on the 3rd of December. Well, it's a huge week in African football with match day three and four in the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers being played in the space of seven days, with teams playing back-to-back matches against the same opponents and some of the encounters only three days apart. So this will be a decisive time for many countries. Some are eyeing six points from the two games, knowing that it would see them looking good for a place in the finals in Cameroon next June and July. Uganda, Morocco, Tunisia, Senegal, Nigeria, DR Congo and South Africa all see this as a possibility. South Africa play the Seychelles, Nigeria take on Libya, Uganda play Lesotho, Tunisia play Niger, it's Senegal against Sudan and Morocco's opponents are Comoros. The DRC are hosting Zimbabwe in Kinshasa on Saturday night and they then play here in Harare on Tuesday. Uh, Tricky games are these for the Warriors. The Gambia are up against Togo, also difficult opponents for the Scorpions. Ethiopia and Kenya drew nil-nil in their first meeting on Wednesday while Zambia beat Guinea-Bissau 2-1. We'll be talking about the games and how it's all looking on next week's show. Well, now we're focusing on Algeria on the programme this week. The Fenex, or the Desert Foxes, play Benin back-to-back, with the two teams joint top of Group D on four points. Algeria have been rather up and down over the years. They were the best African team at the 2014 World Cup, reaching the round of 16 and only losing to Germany 2-1 in extra time. The Algeria team then included the likes of Yassine Brahimi and Islam Slimani. They were expected to challenge for the 2015 Nations Cup title, but went out at the quarter-final stage, losing to Ivory Coast. Two years later in Gabon, Algeria failed to get out of the group stage, despite having Riyad Mahrez there as the reigning PFA Player of the Year and the African Player of the Year. They then failed to qualify for this year's World Cup, so they have a lot of rebuilding to do. 
Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji spoke to Algeria midfielder Mehdi Abade, who's not in the squad for these games against Benin. Abade has three appearances for Algeria, including a substitute appearance at last year's Nations Cup. He played for France at youth level, and his clubs include New level and his clubs include Newcastle United in England, Panathinaikos in Greece and he's now with Dijon in the French League 1. Oloshina first asked how things are for him at Dijon. Not so bad. I had a first good season uh, two years ago then last year um, some injuries who uh, keep me out of the of, uh, of the of the pitch but uh, but now I'm feeling good and uh, I'm doing well here, so so I'm happy. It's my uh, last year contract, so uh, let's see what what will happen. I mean, you've played in Greece, and then you 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 came back to um, French football. How do you compare football here with that of say England and Greece? Uh, I mean, if, um, in England it's more physical. Uh, the rhythm is uh, is is high, and uh, so um, in France it's more. Uh, Playing football and uh, and uh, have a possession of the ball, so um, yeah, yeah, it's two two different uh, championship. But uh, I was glad to uh, to know all uh, all uh, all this championship. If you look at yourself, the way things went for you at Newcastle, do you still think you could play in the English league maybe someday? Yes, hopefully. Uh, one day I uh, would like to come back there. Uh, I have some regret uh, about Newcastle because I could do better. I was young and uh, without experience. But uh, if it was uh, now, uh, it would be, I think, different. Uh, I have all uh, good moments and good memories from, from this club. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's one of my regrets in, in football. But uh, I don't like to regret uh, a lot of stuff. But uh, hopefully uh, to get back there, why not? You think coming to England then was a bit too early for your career? I don't know if it was too early. Like like I told you, I don't like to regret the things I do, but it was a good opportunity for me at 18 years old to, to know that Newcastle wants you, and I was really happy. And uh, But uh, I, didn't just, I didn't do what uh, I wanted. Uh, I think I could do better there and, uh, and to prove myself more, and I didn't have the, the luck to do it. Is there anything you miss about the English game? Yeah, I miss the atmosphere. I miss uh, I miss uh, the English people who who likes football, you know, who knows about football. So this is the thing, and I have a, a few friends there, so so I miss all that. And when you look at the Algerian national team, I mean, you haven't gotten a, a call up since um, the 2017 Afcon in Gabon. You haven't played for Algeria. Do you feel a bit bad? No, it's it's because I was injured, like I told you last year. That's why I didn't be. I, I wasn't a call up. Uh, I went uh, to the last the, the last uh, call. I I've been uh, last month, so 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 yeah. Now now I'm fit. I'm, I feel good. So I think uh, it will be all better in the future. Do you think you don't get a kind of chance, an opportunity you want to play for your country regularly? Yeah, yeah, but uh, like I told you, the injuries keep me out of the of the pitch, so it's difficult to to to, to play and uh, to be one of the uh, one of the player of the eleven of Algeria. So, so hopefully now I'm I'm playing so much here and uh, and uh, to to take my place there, to to give everything to take my place there. Algeria, 1990 Africa champions, two World Cup back to back. You went to the World Cup and then you couldn't qualify. 
What exactly does Algerian football need to return back to the World Cup? Yeah, we need to to get back to the basics, you know, to uh, to to our game, to to be solid, to have a, a strong team. Uh, we have so many good players, good in, in, individuals, individuality, and uh, but we we don't know how to play all together. I think it's um, important things it's to do to do the things together. It's what we need. When you have a collective team together, can help the team. Of, of course, of course. Sometimes you have a, a small team, but when you have a good collective, you can do uh, everything. So so it's what we need. That's Algeria midfielder Mehdi Abed speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Alawashina Okaleji. Uh, so, Solomon, some interesting insights there, especially where Abed says that the Algeria national team lacks teamwork despite having so many big names. Yes, I totally agree with that, Steve, because if you look at the current Algerian national team, I really thought that this would be the golden generation. But for me, in spite of their individual talents and brilliance and skills, uh, with players like uh, Yasin Brahimi and Islam Slimani and uh, Mares, you, you would think, you know, that brilliance will come to fore. But the golden generation of Algerian football, for me, you have to go back to between 1980 and 1990, 91. That era of uh, Raba Maja, who was the captain and later on became coach for, for the Algerian national team. It's always been a team that really struggles to build a, a teamwork, to be able to function as a, as a unit. Uh, we saw a bit of that, what they're able to do, uh, you know, at the at the World Cup in, in 2014. But then it just fizzles out. So for me, the ability to gel is not just dependent on the players but also you need a coach that would be able to see this differences to see this diversity that's there and bring it together and the Algerian team for me in the last 10 years outside of Senegal or together with Senegal has been the most underachieving teams in Africa yeah we knew Senegal qualified for the World Cup and went to Russia and played and and did you know fair enough but that was not enough for me it's because if you look at the depth of, and the talent that is in that team, uh, and 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 the Algerian national team not being able to function as a unit, as a team, like Abiet just mentioned, uh, you know, is very unusual for a team from North Africa. You know, because that has always been the strength for teams from North Africa. The, the strength is always to function together as a team. But lately. Algeria has been lacking in that and I think that has really affected them and uh, also affected uh, their performance and we've seen how much they, they've not been able to achieve uh, uh, quite much lately. Yes, and uh, over the years, Algeria have been so inconsistent, haven't they? They won the Africa Cup of Nations once as hosts in 1990 but could have won it more times, really. Yeah, I think Algeria has been very inconsistent lately since uh, that time in, in 1990 when they, uh, you know, won the Africa Cup of Nations. Uh, but before then also they had qualified for the World Cups in 1982, 1986 and 2010 and obviously 2014. But, uh, you know, their golden moment was, was Algiers 90 when they won the Africa Cup of Nations with Rabba Major as the captain and they hosted and won that. You know, at the 2014 World Cup, they did well also. They became the first African team to score four goals in a match at the World Cup and they did that against uh, South Korea. But in spite of that, you know, they've not been able to really uh, surpass that. I think with the depth that they have, I, they've got, they went through a rough patch, you know, in the early 2000s where they hadn't had enough players uh, that would be able to really 
create a very strong team. But lately we've seen players born in France with Algerian heritage and DNA in them who have decided to play for Algeria. And I, I just thought that, you know, the last 10 years would have been a great moment for them to, to, to win another Africa Cup of Nations, but they have failed. And it's, it goes back again to teamwork. I don't think it's a lack of, uh, of, of players, lack of uh, players and, and talent and, and debt. Uh, because Algeria is, is so blessed with, with players in the Algerian and National League and players born in Algeria up gone to Europe to, to ply their trade and players of Algerian descent born in France, uh, born in Germany and born in Spain and now want to play for Algeria. So there's, they have quite a lot of options. Well, we'll see if Algeria can move in the right direction with all of those talented players that they have. Thanks a lot, Solomon. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programmes in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can also listen to the show on our New Look website, planetsport.tv. Our other shows are there. That's Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby podcast, plus interviews with various stars, including Ghana's Christian Achu and Zambia's Patson Dakar. Also, you can find out more about the Planet Sport Football Africa team. There's pictures and information about us in the About Us section. That's on our New Look website, planetsport.tv. And our Twitter handle is at planetsportfa. Well, next we turn to social media. And on last week's show, we compared football in Africa to football in Europe. We heard about the huge commercial success of the English Premier League. And we spoke to fans in Ghana who highlighted the poor administration, poor stadiums and pitches, and that players are not being paid well, among many other issues there. All of this means that many fans would rather watch European football on television than go to the stadium to watch a domestic match. But there's no doubt there are many talented players all across Africa. So we asked, what do you think needs to be done to make Africa's leagues sparkle and to attract the fans? Well, to Facebook first, and Moja Lefer Dube in South Africa says, Here in South Africa, we have resources and world-class state-of-the-art stadiums, and fans do attend live matches, although they also follow European football. We love our teams, says Moja Jeffer, and we make fun of each other, but at the end, we are great friends with great sportsmanship. But Avin Asher D. Pakamwe in Malawi gives a perspective from his country. Most clubs in Africa are very poor, says Vin. For example, here in Malawi, many clubs are very poor because of bad management and low standards at the grounds. So the African clubs cannot compare with the European clubs because those clubs have better management than ours. On WhatsApp, Mohamed Bar in the Gambia sees a similar picture in his country. Poor administration, lack of motivation for players and poor pitches plus poor marketing of the domestic league have made so many young talented players leave the country for better conditions and better wages, says Mohamed. There are hundreds of Gambian players presently in Senegal who should have been groomed and nurtured in the Gambia. Ebrima Bar, also in the Gambia, suggests some possible solutions. My outlook on this is that Africa should build a lot of beautiful stadiums and pitches, says Ebrima, because it's been one of the things in football that could attract fans. Secondly, let big companies in Africa come out and invest in Africa's football. And my final point is that players should be paid attractive salaries. 
question there would be where would the money come from but thanks for that to Ebrima and Moses in Malawi agrees that more investment is needed let sponsors who are in Europe come to Africa and commercialize the game says Moses pay players big and see what can come out after two years and Kitenga Ija Allen in Uganda agrees corporate companies should get involved in funding the leagues of operation says Kitenga Ija most of these corporations are owned by overseas investors who've collected a lot of dollars from Africa which they should return by developing Africa's leagues secondly Africa's governments should invest more in leagues by giving full support to constructing football pitches when pitches are developed they can attract many fans to start watching their local football Many of the comments we received this week highlighted the need for players to be properly paid. Francis Tucker is in the Gambia. For Africa's leagues to sparkle like Europe's, African players should be encouraged and well paid, says Francis. African football needs good administration, a good standard of stadiums and pitches. If not, the leagues can never attract the fans. Oms K. Baji in the Gambia says for football in Africa to be like Europe is not possible. Players, coaches and managers have not been paid well. There's no quality training for administrators and facilities are poor, says Oms. Alfred Bezai in Malawi sees corruption as the main issue. It's impossible for African leagues to sparkle like European leagues, says Alfred. No matter how much is invested in the sport, because most people are into the game just to make money for themselves and not for the sport. There's too much corruption at every level in Africa, says Alfred. And Mustafa Jatta in the Gambia agrees, saying it's true that sometimes the way they do administration is wrong. They work with corruption, they select the players they know, but it can't work. Also in Africa, we have really talented players, but we are way behind in terms of facilities. And Alfred Mdimba, also in Malawi, agrees that corruption is the main problem. If corruption and favoritism is dealt with, says Alfred, then yes, Africa's leagues can sparkle and attract the fans. Ebrima in the Gambia is a former player himself. Uh, yes, it's true in Africa that you have talented players, says Ebrima, but the African leagues are stressful because sometimes less is paid, although maybe the northern part of Africa is better. I was playing in the Gambian First Division and also in Guinea-Bissau, but things are not smooth because there's no money, and if a serious injury occurs, there's no help, and you have to take care of yourself. That's a familiar story in this part of the world uh, too, Ebrima. Thanks for that. Uh, Joachim Mudanga in Uganda says it's just poor administration. We always welcome your voice notes on WhatsApp, and from the Gambia, here's Ebrima Kante. In Africa here, we lack administration. We are very poor administrators that are just there for the interests of themselves, not the, 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 the players. So you cannot just compare that to EPL, where the players are not paid. You look at the, the teams here, some of the players will not be paid for the whole season. Thanks for that one, Ebrima. Finally on this, Lamine Sonko in the Gambia says he prefers to watch European football, even if it costs him to do so on TV. Uh, Ebrima says no way can African football sparkle like the European leagues because the way our leagues are governed and managed uh, means that football is surrounded by corruption and by corrupt people. I've spent thousands of Delassies every year watching football on TV, but not for my own league games, says Lamine. Thanks so much for all of those comments and giving us the perspective from your part of Africa. 
Well, now, next on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, we talk English Premier League. I'm joined by Stuart Weir, our European football expert, and with the international break on this weekend, we have Manchester City, Chelsea and Liverpool tied at the top. Uh, so now, Stuart, the title race is much more intriguing than last season. Eight games in, what are your thoughts? Eight games into the season, we have Manchester City, Chelsea and Liverpool, all equal on 20 points and all unbeaten. Many people thought that this season it would come down to uh, Manchester City or Liverpool, but Chelsea's ability to win games has surprised me, given that their new manager, Mauricio Sarri, has no experience of English football, that Aidan Hazard is in the form of his life and has already scored seven goals has certainly helped. Behind the top three, we have Arsenal and Tottenham, each having uh, lost two games, but they're still only two points behind. Madison United find themselves in eighth, seven points behind the leaders. Their 3-2 win over Newcastle was encouraging in that for the first time really this season they showed some determination and fight on the pitch after going uh, nil-two behind. But what was discouraging is that Newcastle's two early goals both exploited United's inability to defend the centre of the defence. And it has to be said, the comeback was only against Newcastle, who are second from bottom and have yet to win a game this season. The surprise package of the season is newly promoted Wolves, who are in an amazingly high position, having won four and drawn three of their first eight games. And of course, they have the African manager, Nuno from um, San Tommy. But going back to the top of the table, last weekend saw Liverpool draw nil-nil at home to Manchester City. Last year, you will recall, Liverpool got the better of Man City in the league. And it was interesting to see... City this time uh, adopt, shall we say, a more cautious approach to the game, curbing their natural attacking play and seemingly settling for the draw. City did have the chance to win the game with a late penalty, but Riyad Mahrez shot high over the bar. City's normal penalty taker, Sergio Aguero, had already been substituted, but Maris seemed a strange choice as a penalty taker, given that he had missed three of his last five penalties. Incidentally, Steve, I bet you didn't know that Maris is the second left-footed player to miss a Premier League penalty in a nil-nil draw this season, following Kennedy of Newcastle United. But overall, the race for the title looks as if it's going to be a lot closer than last season's, and competition for the four Champions League places just as close. Currently, the top five are separated by two points, and Manchester United, despite an indifferent start, are only seven points behind. And with five or six clubs in contention, an awful lot of points will be at stake in the games between the title contenders. And what would you say about Liverpool's Mohamed Salah? It does seem that he's lost his touch this season, or is it too early to say? We're eight games into the season, and Mo Salah has scored three goals. Now, people are saying that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has had a brilliant start to the season, and he's only scored four goals. Part of the problem, I think, is that Salah had such an amazing season uh, last season, scoring 32 goals in the Premier League, and people started talking about him as if he was the greatest player in the world. But it was just one season. When he was in Switzerland with Basel, 
Salah scored one goal every five games. In Italy, it was about a goal every two and a half games. And that's about what he's done for Liverpool this season. He's an excellent player, but he's not the world's greatest striker. I mean, compare Harry Kane at Tottenham, who scored 21, 25, 29 and 30 league goals in the last four seasons. That's amazing consistency. It remains to be seen whether Salah can achieve something similar. But, you know, even if he simply keeps scoring at his current rate, he'll finish up with 15 goals this season. And frankly, most strikers in the Premier League would think that's a pretty good return. So I think it's a bit too early to write him off. Well, interesting stats there, and we're asking for your thoughts on this on social media. Has Mohamed Salah lost his touch this season? Stuart says no. I'm seeing some of these games, and Salah is in the right position, but not getting the right final touch on many occasions. So what do you think? Has Salah lost his touch with the three goals in eight games? Stuart says that's not a bad return. And what can we expect from him this season? You can go to our Facebook page and post a comment there. That's Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. And it's going well for Gabon's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang at Arsenal. And the Gunners themselves can't stop winning, can they, Stuart? Uh, recently we asked uh, whether Arsenal can get a top four finish. Most listeners said no, but indeed they are in fourth. It's been a funny season for Arsenal the way the fixtures have worked out, because Arsenal started the season losing to Manchester City and Chelsea, obviously two of the best teams in the country, but since that they've won nine in a row in all competitions. That's two in the Europa League, one in the EFL or League Cup, and six in the Premier League. But before we get too carried away by that excellent run, we need to remember that most of their Premier League games have been, shall we say, against potential relegation candidates. The football Arsenal played in beating Fulham 5-1 at the weekend was a joy to watch, particularly the way they scored four goals in the second half. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scored twice in the Fulham game, but he wasn't in the starting lineup. Uh, he came off the bench after an hour. He started seven of Arsenal's eight league games, scoring four goals. But it's a real battle for game time between Aubameyang, Alexandre Lacazette and Danny Welbeck, with generally one of the three c- coming off the bench and very rare for any of them to play for 90 minutes. Similarly, Arsenal's Nigerian midfield player Alex Wobi has struggled for game time, having only three starts in the league this year. But Arsenal, under new manager Unai Emery, look to be playing with, shall we say, greater freedom than sometimes under Arsene Wenger. But there's a long time to go in the season, and as I said, Arsenal have yet to beat any of the top eight teams in the league, so the jury is out on how good they are. Okay, so Arsenal fans shouldn't get too excited just yet, says Stuart. And there's something interesting you observed regarding video technology, Stuart. I was interested to read that world rugby authorities have made a change to the use of the TMO, or the television match official, their equivalent of the VAR, uh, giving greater authority back to the referee rather than relying on television so much. The statement says that while all four officials can contribute, 
it makes clear that the final decision rests with the referee. Now, this is something we talked about during the World Cup, when at times it was unclear who had the final say, with referees seemingly being overruled by VAR, and at other times the match referee insisting and going to the touchline to watch the TV pictures for himself before making the decision. Rugby has used this technology for much longer than football, uh, and as we refine it, I would certainly like to see FIFA take the same position and stating clearly that the match referee has the final say. Cardiff City's game against Burnley uh, two weeks ago established a five-year low for the amount of playing time at a Premier League match. A mere 42 minutes and two seconds was the ball in play. And more than eight minutes were spent waiting for Sean Morrison, the Cardiff centre-back, to take his long throws. It took him an average of 25 seconds to deliver a throw-in, and he took 20 of them during the game. We now understand that football's lawmakers are going to look at this and see uh, if we can do something to increase the amount of playing time within the 90 minutes and even perhaps to legislate against time-wasting at throw-ins. Interesting. Well, here in Zimbabwe, we sometimes have a problem of ball boys holding on to the ball and taking a long time to throw the ball back when it's convenient for the home team. Well, thanks, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in South Africa and from Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.